are going to be reading from Luke 10 today, beginning at verse 38. So this says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She and her sister, called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's, let's pray. Our Lord, we pray as ever that we hear your voice, that we learn your ways, and we follow you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Yeah. So I do I do like this passage. I'm not gonna lie, I really like this passage because I really hate doing housework. <laughs> so this is text is kind of one that I enjoy. Uh but for some reason my my roommate uh doesn't really like it when I tell him that I've chosen the better thing by not helping him with the housework. I don't know <laughs> what people's problems are. Like, do you even read the Bible? Come on. <laughs> know what this is about. So, welcome to Wellspring Worship Center. My name is James. I am the pastor here. And since about Easter, we have been asking this question, who is Jesus? Who is it that Jesus spends his time with? What do those interactions look like? What can we learn from being more like our Lord Jesus? And today, we get to look at Jesus's interaction with two of his closest friends. It's always, it's always fun seeing the way that people interact with their friends, right? They, they seem to be a bit more authentic, a bit more themselves. Uh, that's why none of you get to look at how I am with my friends in England, because then you'd fire me. Uh, but <laughs> Jesus, fortunately, when we see how he is with his closest friends, actually remains constant in how you know, beautiful he is with them. Uh, this isn't the only encounter that we hear about with Mary and Martha and Jesus. It does seem that every time they connect, something really significant and weighty is happening. Uh, one of the other times they connect is as Jesus raises their brother Lazarus from the dead. Uh, shortly before Jesus' trial and execution, Mary anoints his feet with oil in Bethany. Uh, these happens in John's account, John's gospel. These are some pretty emotionally weighty events, I suppose. And the stakes do seem to be a little bit lower here, but there still seems to be a lot of tension. This is such a weird little text. This is, it's so small and it's so bizarre, and it doesn't get mentioned in the other Gospels. It's, it's just interesting to, to reflect on. I will say a few of my friends preached on this a few weeks ago. Uh, the Anglican lectionary, this was the reading. Actually, Cole preached on it a couple of weeks ago, so he might hear some things for the second time because <laughs> I've stolen ideas from him. It also made me alert and aware to just how bad some people's interpretation of this is. There are some bad takes out there, people. So let's look at a couple of bad takes and let's see if we can redeem them. We'll talk about what it ain't about and then we talk about what it is about. 
So bad take number one. This is one I hadn't heard before, uh, but a friend of mine who grew up in a, a very kind of conservative evangelical church, uh, she was told that this passage shows us that the best place for a woman is sat silently at the feet of a man. Yep, that's the takeaway. Mary knew her place, and that as a good, obsequious woman, the best thing that she could do was to sit and be silent and look up in starstruck adoration of Jesus, who, who generously tolerates her womanly presence with all of its estrogen or something. I don't know. <laughs> now, this is not the case for lots of reasons that I'll get into briefly, but I want to be very clear, if you take nothing else away, this passage is not a celebration of women sitting silently. Bad take number two is that Jesus is kind of rude and demeaning and insulting to his friend Martha, which is, is kind of one of the easy takes to get from this until we actually think about who Jesus is and how Jesus is and how Jesus talks and so much of what we know about Jesus. This interpretation says that Martha, for some reason, thinks that her womanly duties, like hosting and cleaning, are worth interrupting Jesus for or worth calling out Mary over. But as Jesus tells her, Mary has chosen the better thing because, you know, she's accepted that those things aren't very important, really. And I will say, it does distress me because this Jesus kind of sounds like a jerk. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that we see revealed in Scripture so much and so often. Martha has ultimately gone above and beyond what society has asked of her, and, and then she's put down by Jesus for it. That seems kind of rough. And perhaps, and I'm going to be honest, guys, I'm speaking for me here, but maybe you can get something from it. When we're at our most exhausted and our most fraught, how is it that we hear Jesus speaking to us? Is it gently and softly? Or is it with disappointment or condescension or correction? We'll have some fun with that later. So those are the two bad takes I figured we'd, we'd look at. I really, the first one, I'm not even going to spend much time on the first one, and you can talk to me afterwards if you'd like to learn more, that's okay. But that first bad take that regards Mary and the idea that the best place for a woman is sat silently at the feet of a man, um, there are churches who are unlike us that don't celebrate the participation of women in ministry and leadership in the church, and they'll lead on this verse to say, oh, well, she's chosen the better thing. Clearly, there's some things that women shouldn't do. I don't know why. I don't. Do people just think women's brains would explode if they learned too much or something? I don't know. What did people? What did science say a hundred years ago? Something awful, probably. I don't know how chauvinists think. I don't know what the logic is here. But what's funny is actually this proves the opposite. That's what I love about this verse more than anything. Uh, N.T. Wright, one of the like greatest biblical scholars of all time, he actually uses this verse to prove the opposite. Because you know who it is that's supposed to sit silently at the feet of Jesus? The men are. The disciples are. 
Mary is taking on what society would have considered to be a very masculine, men-only role in that space. And so kind of hilariously, it's the opposite of what so many people think is happening there. This is one of the verses that we, as a leadership, we as a church, lean on to show that actually Jesus recognizes women in all spaces in a church and everywhere else too. And I could have lots of fun talking about this for the next 20 minutes, but that's not really gonna, y'all, I think most people here agree with me, and if you don't, that's okay, we'll have a conversation, but we're gonna continue to have women in leadership regardless, sorry. But it is reassuring to me that we can look at this passage and see that women are excellent and should be trusted and should be respected that's a value we have. That's a value that we see Jesus having. That women are incredible and they are capable and we benefit from having them in spaces where there have only been men before. I could end the sermon there, but I want to talk about Martha for a bit. I think Martha is this kind of fascinating character who we don't seem to spend as much time with. I think Martha has been kind of disparaged throughout history uh, in, in because of her dedication to menial work. That's the kind of mindset that we have. I've heard, don't be such a Martha, which is you know, being worried about housework or something. Uh, in, in the book and TV series, A Handmaid's Tale, which is a kind of dystopian American future, or like 2024 if Trump wins, I don't know edgy, um, but <laughs> the, the women in that who do the menial housework are called Marthas. This is just kind of set in people's minds. That's what a Martha is, someone who worries about the housework. And as we have been prone to do with strong women throughout history. This is a really awful reduction of the incredible and strong character that Martha is and the role that she serves in Jesus' ministry. We hear more about Martha in John 11, following the loss of her brother. Uh, in John 11, verse 27, Martha proclaims, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, I realize that's something probably lots of us have heard lots of times, and hopefully most of us believe. But do you know who says that first in John's Gospel? It's Martha, and it's here. In John's Gospel, she's the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. She's a strong and brilliant woman. She also proclaims that her brother will rise again, which, remember, isn't a popular theology at the time. Like, she gets Jesus. She gets life everlasting. She gets this before most of them, and especially the men do, if we're honest. She states this publicly and boldly, even in the face of losing her brother, even in the midst of the grief, she still claims Jesus as son of God. What's interesting in that passage, too, is that, once again, she seems to be caring for the community. She seems to be concerned with the people around her. When Jesus says to open up the tomb, she's the one that says, it's going to smell really bad. Like, don't open it up, please. 
Martha is someone who knows Jesus well and loves Jesus very well. And even in John 11, 5, we're told that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha. So with that in mind, that Mary and Martha aren't a couple of kind of randos that Jesus has rocked up at, that actually these are two people that know him and love him dearly, how does that change the context of this verse? Looking at it again, Martha has opened her house to Jesus. Also, this is really significant. She's like a woman that owns property. That's huge. She's a big deal, is Martha. Uh, but she becomes distracted by all the preparations that are to be made. And she asks, like, Jesus, do you not care about how difficult this is for me? Anyone not prayed that prayer, if we're honest? <laughs> do you not care? This is kind of overwhelming. And instead of, of Jesus being the usual pastoral self that he is, we hear that what feels like a rebuke says that Mary's chosen what's better. Like, that kind of hurts. Do we think that's what it's like? Do you, do, when you pray, is that an answer you get? <laughs> like, help, I'm drowning. Like, well, should have chosen better. I don't think that's how this works. It's difficult to hear those words without thinking that Jesus has been corrective. And, and maybe part of that as well is that we kind of have this preconceived idea that it is really only the housework that she's doing. That we've, we, have, we think that the work that women has done has been less valuable. And so we kind of put that on Jesus, which I don't think is fair to do. I think if we're more faithful to this text, it actually speaks to the strength of Martha. But, but the NIV, which is what we read from today, it kind of doesn't do us many favors. This is, all right, always be wary when someone preaching says, now the Bible says this, but what it actually means is something else. Because with that in mind, I'm about to do that. <laughs> but the NIV which I use a lot and read a lot and is a solid translation, but was also translated by evangelicals in the 70s who we're out of alignment with on some things, and that's okay. But they translate distracted by all the preparations when just as faithful a translation would say, working hard with all the serving. So she's not distracted by it. She's committed to it. She's working hard at it. What's really fun here, if you're a loser like me, and if you're a loser like Cole, you're welcome, Cole, um, is that the word for serving there is diakiana, which I've mispronounced, uh, which does mean serving, but it's also the word that we use for deacon, you see. And deacons are leaders in the church now, and deacons are leaders in the church in the first century. So this isn't Martha worrying about menial tasks. It's Martha worrying or being committed or working hard with how to best serve the community that she's been entrusted with. And don't forget, hospitality and making people feel welcome in your home was a really big deal in the first century. 
it's something I think they got very right. Like, I cannot overstress how central that is to just so much of the New Testament. Even the start of chapter 10 that we read from today, Jesus is telling the disciples, go out and do work, and but if people do not welcome you, if you are not shown hospitality, then he'll just God's going to blow up those villages. That's how important, now God doesn't, but that's how important hospitality is. Everyone would have known this, that if you're not making people feel welcome in your home, you are not honoring God. Martha isn't some menial woman doing menial tasks. She is a leader in the community. She is one of the few people to recognize Jesus as Messiah, and she takes that responsibility of serving or deaconing very seriously, which is exactly what we want a leader in the community to do. Martha was brilliant. Don't, don't look at this text and think Martha is anything other than brilliant and loved by Jesus. The Bible literally tells us Jesus loved Martha. But what Martha needs in that space is a gentle encouragement from Jesus to slow down. I think one of the sad things about the Bible, and I know that's a risky thing to say as well, but one of the sad things is that we can't hear the tone with which Jesus speaks to the people that he loves. Because I'm so convinced he speaks in such a loving tone. It really seems in keeping with who he is. I don't think this is any exception either. But when I read this text, at my very worst, I kind of imagine Jesus talking to Martha, as they say, in that disappointing or a condescending tone, kind of the way I think he talks to me. <laughs> but But that's not who Jesus is. One of the shortcomings, as I say, of the written word is how difficult it is to convey tone. Uh, let me, let me, uh, let's, let's have some fun with this for a second. Can you show the first slide, Jeff? So read that. Is this good or bad? Let's, let, let's go to the next slide. You've done it again. You've done it again. You've done it again. Usain Bolt has won another level. You've done it again. Wow. Let's go to the next slide. You've done it again. All right. We all want to look at pictures of sad dogs, but let's get back to this thing. <laughs> is it, so is this a good or a bad thing? You've done it again. Well, it depends on the context, doesn't it? as we've just seen. And yet when we, we look at Scripture, we, we assume we know the tone with which Jesus is speaking. When we see those words, Martha, Martha, how do you read them? Martha, Martha. Or is it more gentle? Martha, Martha. Is it corrective? Is it exhausted? Is it loving? Because for such a long time, I heard Jesus' reputation of Martha's name as a kind of chastisement. But actually, author readers in the first century would know that 
this is Jesus being gentle. The repetition is, is her being seen. It's her being known. It's her being understood. One of the other pieces I think is interesting is that we, we read this translation of uh, Mary has chosen what is better, but it just as easily translates as Mary has chosen what is good. See how that's less competitive. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not, well, <laughs> Martha, you've chosen badly. This is, it's okay. Mary, she's chosen what is good. And with that, Jesus reassures both Martha and Mary. You see how he can do that? It really sure seems a lot more like Jesus, doesn't it? I believe that this is about reassurance, not chastisement. Martha, you're too worried. It's okay to slow down. It's okay for things to not be perfect as much as you want them to be. I'm still here. I'm still present. Keep your focus there. How many of us need to hear that right now? And, and again, I, I encourage you, and I don't encourage you enough, but I need to encourage you more. This is why it's so good to pray. Because <laughs> when we pray, we get to enter that conversation with Jesus, and we get to actually hear Jesus speak. And every time I pray, which I still don't do as much as I should do, every time I pray, I continue to just be surprised by how gentle Jesus is with me. And I don't know how many times I have to keep on being surprised until I get it. But, but that's what happens. Martha's problem here isn't that she's serving. She's clearly called to serve. She's clearly called to deacon. Churches have been following her example of that servant leadership for 2,000 years. But she wasn't able to slow down. She forgot for a moment that Jesus was at the center. And with Jesus at the center, those other pieces don't matter quite as much. The easy message here is about taking our eyes off of Jesus and judging others and being upset that others aren't doing as much as us. But I, <laughs> And I really wanted that because it kind of tied this up neatly. But when I was praying for this message, I, I didn't feel that's what God wanted me to share. Much like I don't think he really wanted me to share much about empowering women, which is why we didn't spend much time on it. But I think what we need as a church, as a community, as individuals, more than anything is to listen to Jesus. Not just his words, but his tone. Not just what he's saying, but the way that he's saying it. When Jesus speaks your name, how is it you hear it? Is it more gentle or more loving than you could imagine? Then that's probably him. For some of us, that's going to be easier. And for some of us, that's going to be harder. And, and that's okay. Because we get to walk through that as a community. We get to share in that together. So that's, that's where we end, I think, with that encouragement that 
that Jesus is, is speaking your name more gently and more lovingly than, than you could imagine. Let's, let's all try to listen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we constantly be sensitive and open and excited to hear you speak our name. Lord, where we are exhausted, we remember that we can run to you. When we're tired or distracted or overworked, we remember that we can sit at your feet. And Lord, we pray for time. We pray for space. We pray that we can make room for you. For you to do what you do. And show us how much you love us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.